0: As I shared last week for the first part of the new year, I'm just, I'm gonna share some thoughts concerning the foundations of abundant life. And, and as I said last week, um, tonight I wanna, or tonight, today, <clears throat> just, just so you know, especially for those of you that are visiting. I'm usually not this ditzy. I really feel ditzy. I took some cold medicine before I came. And whew, I don't, I don't handle it very well. <clears throat> and so if I slur a little bit, I have not, we are having communion today, but we use grape juice. I was not hitting wine before I came up here. And so if uh, I look a little spacey, it's because I'm a little spacey right now. And uh, I thought I took it early enough that the main part of it would get past before I got here, but during worship, it really, really set in. I don't know if you noticed when I was taking up the offering, my mouth was really dry, praise <laughs> the Lord. But anyway, so that's not the history of our church. Maybe the history of me, but it's not the history of the church. And so I want to, I want to talk about the history because, you know, I think when you come in, in and get involved in something later on, you, you, you don't experience the initial stages of it. And, and so when you don't know how and why you got to where you've gotten, I, I think sometimes it can, it can hinder. The other thing that I see that happens many times that I think it happens in churches, it happens in, in people's personal lives, it happens in business. They, they forget about their roots and when you begin to forget about your roots, um, you lose sight of what got you to where you are. And when that happens, you, you lose sight of your vision, you, you lose sight of what you're really, you're really there for. And I think oftentimes within the church today, The church has lost sight of its vision. I'm not talking necessarily about about life. I'm talking about the church at large. We've lost sight of what the vision of the church is really supposed to be, and Jesus was the author of that. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I think in, in, in many ways, the church has become a glorified social services that... Uh, the Gospel is lost someplace. The preaching of the Gospel is lost. And, and I believe in helping people out, I really do. But the mission of the church is to preach the Gospel to all the world so that others can hear. And so, <clears throat> I believe there's two reasons why um, history is important. To be able to know what your history is and. And review it periodically so that you don't lose sight of your purpose, why you're here. And uh, I believe the first reason is, is without understanding history, you continue to commit the same errors over and over again. You know, as you look, as you read through the Old Testament, it's I think it's so interesting, is that. Every time there was something dramatic that happened in the lives of the children of Israel, God would have them build a memorial to it. And that memorial was for them to look back to, for them to remember. You know, when they crossed the Red Sea, remember they they were to take uh, rocks out of the sea, each of the tribes, and they built a memorial there. And why? It was to remind the children of Israel that that what took place in Egypt, and how it was God that brought them out of Egypt. And you know, we we, we know about David, how when David was about to battle Goliath, David had a history with God assisting him and God working in his life. And so as he attacked Goliath, what he said was, I've killed the lion, I've killed the bear. what's this uncircumcised Philistine to me? But David had a history, and he hadn't lost sight of the history that God had moved in his life before. You know, it's an interesting thing, whether it be the church or whether it be in our individual lives. When we've seen God move in the past, what it does, what it does is it gives us confidence that God's going to work in our lives today as well. He set us free in the past, and you know what? He's going to continue to work in our lives and set us free. and so. If we don't know of history, we have a tendency to repeat the same mistakes, the same errors, over and over again. You know, you've all heard the saying, the first time I heard it was from Dr. Cole. The epitome of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different outcome. And if you don't have an understanding of history, that's exactly what we do. We continue to do the same thing over and over again, and then we wonder why things don't change. It's because we're doing the same thing. The same mistakes, the same errors. So there's there's good in the history, and there's also uh, the negative that's there. But then the second point is, I believe that having an understanding of history helps us to have an appreciation of what we have. And oftentimes, we get so caught up in the day that we're in right now, we, we lose sight of the sacrifice and so forth that took place to get us to this place. You know, I remember when my grandpa Schroeder was alive, and one of my favorite things used to be when we'd get together on a Sunday or whatever it may be, and... And Gramp would sit down and he'd start talking about the past and talking about farming with horses and, and uh, you know, the time that the, the team got spooked and took off with a load of corn and nobody could catch them because they were running wild out through the field and so forth. And, you know, it was just, it was, it was, it was fun to hear. Or the time that, I think my brother was involved with this, the fire trucks had to come out to the farm because a couple of boys decided to play with matches behind a haystack. My brother was never really that sharp, I guess. You know, but but so anyway, you know, to hear those things, it's, anyway, for me, that was fun. But then there's the other part of it. You know, and I look at, look back, you know, after you grow up and you become a parent and you have responsibilities and. I look back and I see the sacrifices that that my mom and dad made uh, so that we could basically live. And so it gives you appreciation for what we have because we see the sacrifices that were made for us to be able to be where we are today. You know, I think of where, you know, the fact that we live in this nation. You know, I I was watching a video and it showed the um, the guards at the uh, um, the honor guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier, and how they were um, switching. And this was just this week when they had the storms out there. And here there are there's there's snow, and all there was was a little path where you could see that the the guard had walked back and forth, back and forth. But you know, when we when we understand the sacrifice that was made so that we can have the freedoms that we have today to be able to come together and worship as we are today. You know, there's many parts of the world where they wouldn't be in an open facility like this. You know, there's a, a pastor that we support in, in Thailand. And, uh, and some of the ministry that they've done, because the Smithwicks have been with them, uh, they've gone into Vietnam and Cambodia and other places like that. But they had to do it all in the underground churches. And so every Sunday, they have to switch their location. Because if uh, the government finds out, um, you know, they'll, they'll be raided and they'll be arrested. Isn't it wonderful that we can gather openly as we are today. And not have to have any fear of somebody coming charging through those doors and arresting us. But that's because of what's come before us that was able to, to set it up, to be willing to fight for the freedoms that we have and, and so on and so forth, while well, we're talking about the church today. But see, all of these things come into play because in all of these areas, there, there needs to be the element that we know our past so we don't repeat the errors, but also so that we have an appreciation for what we have today and that we don't fall prey of, of discontentment you know, it, it sets us free. You know, there's the other element. You know, I look back in, in my family and I see the addictions that have been there. I see the, uh, the cousins and the uncles that I had that, that, that lives were destroyed because of addictions and, and the very fact that many of them died prematurely. And so we see the consequences of not choosing to follow after our Savior. Hey, brother, I just noticed that you're there. How you doing? Good. You know, every once in a while you get a shock. <laughs> so anyway, those are things that are part of our history to remind us. I remember sitting in a ball game one time with, a, with an individual. as a soccer game. Not a soccer game. It was a volleyball game. And, and I think it was about a seventh grade game, girls, and so... You, you, you had time to visit. And, uh, but we got talking about our past, and his past was a past of, of alcoholism as well. And uh, we got talking about it because neither one of us drank anymore. And uh, I said, you know, for me, I can't find one redeeming thing about alcohol because of what I've seen it produce in my family. And he shook his head and he says, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because he had, died, had a brother that had died because of complications of alcohol and so forth. You know, and so, but see what happens is if we, if we lose sight of those things. You know, yeah, we put those things behind, but if we don't remember those things, we have a tendency to repeat those same errors. You know, I had a, growing up, one of my best friends, Pat O'Connor, his dad was an alcoholic, and, and I can remember, uh, we would, I would stay overnight with him, and when his dad would come home after one of his benches, we'd go out in the, in the cornfield and hide because we didn't know what kind of a mood he would be in. You know, and Pat told me, he says, there's one thing that, that's never gonna happen in my life. I'm never gonna allow that to control me. Well, it did began to control his life. Last summer I found out uh, that he had died. Let me tell you something. There's a thief out there, and he's out to steal, he's out to kill, and he's out to destroy. What I want us to see today is that God works generationally. That we need to know what took place in the generations before us so that the generations that follow us don't have to endure and go through the same things that maybe we went through, that our parents went through, our grandparents went through. But see, if we don't learn from the past, we're not gonna see any change in the future. And the problem is, is we forget. You know, I think about the children of Israel. When you 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 go through, First and second Kings and Chronicles and, and so on and so forth and you see these kings and you see a good king rise up and goes by the wayside and a bad king rises up and, and you think, Why don't they learn? Amen. Why don't they learn where, where the destruction comes from? But they've forgotten their past or they think that it it'll never happen to them. And so we need to we need to learn and we need to move on. You know, I I think about the church, the church here in Jefferson, Iowa. There are two individuals when we first came back to Jefferson that I got acquainted with. Uh, One of them was Slim McKinley and the other was Grandma Murphy. Harold probably knew both of those individuals very well. And uh, I, I love to sit down with them and talk with them because, especially Slim, he uh, he remembered when Pentecost came to Jefferson, and he had talked about it, and and he talked about the fact how you know there there used to be the that one time it was the Church of God, then it became the Assemblies across from uh, the middle school building, and uh, that's the the first building that they had and. And he said that the Holy Ghost would move in such a way that when people would travel across the, the states, they'd make a point of stopping in Jefferson on Sunday so they could make it to one of the services. And they said that they would, they would have the windows open and the loudspeakers spoke. Well, maybe they didn't even have loudspeakers then. Back then, preachers knew how to send their voices out. Sometimes I wish it was still that way so we didn't have to deal with some of the junk we have to deal with. You know, but anyway, <clears throat> but they would open the windows because people would stand outside because the inside was full. And, and, it, and they would share the stories about what took place and how people's lives were changed and, and so on and so forth. Well, they've, I, always, I always thought, I need to have somebody interview these people and get this history. Of course, I never did that. And they're gone now, so... In one sense, that history is lost. But you see, we have the heritage here in Jefferson, Iowa, of the power and the move of the Holy Ghost. And, and oftentimes we look at it and we think what we have today is something unique. No, there's people that, that paid a price so that we can have what we have today. You know, uh, Abundant Life Ministries was, was, was birthed out of what is referred to as the charismatic renewal. And basically what it was, was a bunch of denominational people that began to, some of them, most of us, weren't even born again. Went to church, but hadn't experienced Jesus Christ and surely had not experienced the the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, and and Harold in the Open Bible Church had had a tremendous influence upon that. Because in this type of a setting, that was the church that many people for the first time experienced the move and the power of the Holy Spirit. But these people, they came out of these denominations and they began to form Bible studies. And eventually, those individuals uh, began a church. And I wanna just give you a little bit of the history of the church because I want to. But the church was established in 1978. It was known as Loving Shepherd Fellowship. The pastor of the church was a man by the name of of, um, George Heil. And he was here for just a a short time and then the church remained. It continued to meet in in, in Bible studies in the home for, for approximately four and a half years. And then that's when the Lord moved upon Pastor Becky in my heart that we were to come back here to Jefferson and, and take the church over. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit more later on. And so it was in, in July of, of uh, 1982 that Pastor Becky and I came and, and began to pastor the church here. At that time, the church was meeting in a little building on, on South Elm. Lady from the church owned it, and we had the living room and the dining room. And I mean, there was nobody living there. We used it as a church, and we'd sit in a circle and sing our songs. And eventually, we had enough that we had to put in some rows. And and uh, shortly thereafter, it would have been in in seventy or eighty three, we moved to four hundred East State Street, down that way, and uh, it was the. It was called the Civic Building at that time. I guess at one time it had been the Women's Club or something like that. And uh, uh, we, we, we would meet there and there was this, uh, in the middle of our, 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 our sanctuary was a pool table, you know, because you couldn't move the pool table. And, and so in the middle of it was this was pool table. We'd set chairs up all around it and everything else. And... And I think, I think actually they eventually allowed us to move it into another room because uh, it wasn't being used and so forth. But, you know, I used to tell people, you know, if they're from Minneapolis or, or, or from Des Moines, they were impressed, but I, I'd tell them, you know, we're, we're packing out the Civic Center. You know, and, and basically it was just a, a, little, a little house. So that's where we moved from there. Uh, and then in, that was in 83. Also in 83, we changed the name. We changed the name from, Abundant Life, or from Loving Shepherd Fellowship to Abundant Life Ministries. And there was all kinds of reasons behind that because at that time there was the shepherding movement and some, some things like that that people got the wrong impression from the name. And then we changed the bylaws and so forth. And so that was in, in 83. In 84... We had our, uh, uh, in August, we had our groundbreaking. If you go on our website, um, there, there's a picture, and there's about 50 of us standing in a circle, and, and half of them are children. And uh, we were breaking ground for this building. And the reason why that's important is that we get to be in this building <clears throat> today. Because of sacrifice that individuals made. Financially, um, talent, investing their time and talent into this building. And so that was in in 83, uh, I mean in 84. In September, we started construction. In 85, uh, in March of 85, the first Sunday of March, we had our first um, service in this building and we had made an investment of two hundred and three thousand dollars It's what it took to build this <clears throat> original building in uh, In 92 We bought a building uptown it was a, we, we called it the solid rock cafe and we purchased a building for twenty four thousand and by the time we had it remodeled, we had 40,000 in it. And so it was to be an outreach for, our, for the young people in the community. And, uh, you know, Dr. Cole always made this statement that when something isn't producing, lop it off. And so we met there for, you know, had it open and so forth, and eventually we used it more for classrooms, and eventually uh, we sold the building just because it wasn't producing what we expected it to produce. And what we did was then we built the redemption center out back, and we built that for, I think it was around $40,000. Pastor, why do you keep bringing up these numbers? Because it's important for you to do, and that's why you need to come to the annual meeting. Because I believe Finances are spiritual. I believe that it's not just a, a physical thing, everything goes together. You know, I remember when <clears throat> Jeff and Amy were, were flying back and forth from Italy all the time. You know what, they never showed up at the airport and, and said, we're missionaries going over to Italy, and they said, oh, well, we'll give you your ticket then. You know, the, it, 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 it takes money to make sure that the gospel goes out into all the world. Well, anyway, that was in 98 that we constructed the original part of the Redemption Center. Uh, our prison ministry started in 94. Um, it was in 04 that we sold the solid rock. We had a couple more times that we, we changed our bylaws. In 08, we paid off our mortgage. And so from 08 to... Uh, to O twelve or to O oh, twelve, <laughs> twenty twelve. Remember, <laughs> cold medicine. <laughs> to, to 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 twelve, we were we were debt free. I believe it's the will of God for the church to be debt free. You know, one of the things that, that we've been able to do as a church, we we've, we've done many of these things, but you know what? We haven't had to receive very many special offerings, and the reason for that is that I believe that if, if we as a church, if we tithe as the Bible tells us to tithe, and everybody does their part, um, the needs are completely met. You know, it's like I shared last week. Um, you know, we, we have the opportunity for you to give directly into missions if you, if you want to give into missions. And I hope that you do. But along with that, to realize that 20% of the tithe that you give on a Sunday morning already goes into missions. And those, we, we, I mentioned them last week, those 11 different mission organizations that we support on a monthly basis, we give um, to those every month so that they know that they have support that's coming into them. You know, as in, in 2010, notice that our mortgage is paid off. In 2010, we built the kitchens and the bathrooms and everything that are out at the Redemption Center. We didn't have to borrow money to do that. We were able to do that as a church. Um, in 2011, uh, we, we remodeled the bathrooms in, in some of that area here in the church. Uh, we Didn't have to borrow money to do it because we were able to have the money because uh, we're tithers. If I say, I'm a tither. You know, and so we, we continue to do that. We had, we opened another facility uptown. Um, I guess it would have been back in 2011 or something like that. We had the, the storehouse where we had clothing and so forth. And once again, we did that for several years and it wasn't working the way that we had anticipated. And so we lopped it off. We, we closed it down so that we can use our funds, that we can use our energies in ways that are going to truly produce. It was in 2012 and 2013 that we did the remodeling. We, we did the front, we did the parking lots, uh, we built the garage, did the landscaping, and uh, as a result of that, the cost of that was $364,900. We took out a mortgage again, for 249000 In other words, a good portion of it, we were able to pay off just with the funds that were coming in through the church. Well, you'll hear this next Sunday as well. But uh, our debt, as of July of 2016, has been paid off. Now, why is that? It's because we believe God, and He's gonna produce the increase that we need in our lives. Now, as I said before, I believe that God operates in our lives in a a generational way. If, uh, If you have a read through the Bible program, like I do every year, you probably just got done reading through Matthew, the first chapter. The first part of Matthew, the first chapter, is really interesting because it's full of the begetting. So-and-so begot so-and-so, and and -and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and and -and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and and -and so-and-so begot somebody else. And then you finally get to the 17th verse, and it says... So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the captive of Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captive in Babylon to Christ are 14 generations. So why does he talk about the generations? Because I believe that the generations are significant, that generations are important. You know, it's, it's always been, I believe, a part of the, the American culture has always been that the, 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 the generation that follows us to be more successful, more blessed, more prosperous than the generation that preceded it. I don't know about you. I want my children to have more, to be more successful, for their life to be better than what ours was. And I know from my parents, it was the same way for them. But see, this is where history comes in. Because if we don't have an understanding of this, and if we don't realize the sacrifice that's been made, what happens is we, we begin to take it for granted. You know, I, I was a plumber for 12 years before I went into the ministry and we had, a, we had a job in New Ulm, Minnesota. And uh, we were working at the building houses there in the college, and, and one noon, myself and another one of the guy, workers, and he was from New Ulm, uh, is an older gentleman, probably a little younger than I am right now. <clears throat> you know, but uh, we, we went out to eat, and so we, we took his car, and we were driving through Main Street of New Ulm, Minnesota. And he he said to me, he says, you see all these businesses around us? He said, there's something very interesting that's very common with the businesses in New Minnesota, which would be true almost anywhere. He said, what you find is that almost every one of the businesses, the storefronts that are closed, almost every one of them, it occurred in the third generation. And he said the the, the phenomena is this. He says the first generation, they have to sacrifice. Everything that comes in, they invest it back into the business so that the business can continue, and so that the business can continue to grow. And then the second generation comes along, and, and he's seen the sacrifice of his father. He saw the sacrifice that he made financially, time-wise, everything. So he continues to invest in the business, although he begins to reap the rewards of the business as well. But he says when the third generation comes along, he didn't see the sacrifice of his grandfather. He didn't see the sacrifice that his father made. And so rather than invest in the business, all that he does is he begins to take from the business. He begins to draw from the business. And before very long, because there's no investment for growth in the business, the business begins to decline. But you know what? That principle applies in every area of our lives. That's why the principle of sowing and reaping that I've read concerning, uh, you know, till the end of time, the principle of seed time and harvest is going to continue. And so we need to realize that even though we're in a good place, that my father and my grandfather has invested and made things good for me. It's still important for me to invest. It's important for me to use my time, my talent, my treasury in the proper way. Why? So that there might be increase. You know, it's an interesting thing. Any, um, any organism that is healthy it grows and it reproduces. If, as a church, we are healthy, we grow and we reproduce. Amen. And not just in the church; in our in our life, in our community. If if it's healthy, it's going to grow, and it's going to mat- it's going to mature, it's going to reproduce. And see, that's what I think is so important as a church. I remember. Years back, it was in a neighboring community. We went there for a, a, a funeral for, uh, a, I think it was a parent of one of our uh, prisoners. We, we went to the funeral and, and walked into the building and it, it just had this moldy smell, this stuffy smell. This old smell. And the building wasn't that old. I mean, I, I looked. It was building like 58 or something like that. Some of you think, whoa, that's really old. And that's not that old. Right. Right. Go to Italy, you'll see old. <laughs> you know, I remember flying back on Lufthansa one time, airlines out of Frankfurt. And uh, I was reading through their magazine. They had this article on the city of Frankfurt, Germany. And... Uh, it was at the time that Iowa was about to celebrate its 150th anniversary of being a state. Frankfurt, Germany was about to celebrate its 1500th anniversary of being incorporated as a city. So uh, that's old. You know, and, and so 58 isn't that old, but it smelled old. And I began to look around the building in it, it looked like it was right out of a 1958 catalog. Why? Because nothing had changed. Nothing had been upgraded. The people that established that church had made sacrifice. They had made investment in that church. And then the generations that followed just simply made the determination to reap the benefits of it without making that continual investment in it. If it's going to grow, if it's going to reproduce, there must be an investment. In your family, there must be an investment. If, if everybody is off doing their own thing and they don't pay any attention to one another, that family is not going to grow together, it's going to grow apart. And then somewhere down the line, people turn around, they look and they say, what happened? I can't believe that this happened. Well, you should, because we play a part in everything that, that takes place. And so when we look in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, especially when we look through the Gospels and the Book of Acts, in addition to doctrine, we see history. We're to to learn from the things that are spoken. In in, in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, in the 11th verse, Paul here just got done talking about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and so forth. And he makes a statement. He says, now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Everything that we see in the Bible. You know what? There's things in the Bible that we're not supposed to pattern our life after. Amen? You know, there's there's parts of David's life uh, where where he served God with a whole heart. We're to follow after that. We're to use that as an example for us to follow. But you know, there's other things that David did when he looked upon Bathsheba and, and committed adultery and had a, 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 the, the husband murdered. How many of you know we're not supposed to pattern our life after that? But you know what? The Bible, it records everything accurately. But it's an example for us to follow. We we see what happened in David's life because of his disobedience. But you know what? We also see what happened in David's life because of his obedience. He became king because he had the right heart. And so all of this is examples for us to follow. When we read through and we see the life of Jesus, let's turn over a couple of pages. Let's look in. First Corinthians, the fourth chapter. And the 16th verse. This is Paul speaking, and he says, therefore I urge you, imitate me. Paul says, look at me. Do what I'm doing. Of course, then he gets a little more specific with it because sometimes, you know, Paul was just a man. Then in the 11th chapter, the first verse, he says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. There's the key. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. You know, when we look at the book, when we look at the Gospels, We see the works of Jesus. The Bible says the works of Jesus will do, only greater works. I believe that's in quantity, not in quality. But we're to do the works of Jesus. And he says, look at me and follow my example. Paul says, look at me, follow my example. Paul says that what we see in the Old Testament There are examples that have been given to us that we can see how we ought to live and how we ought not to live. Because within those examples that are given to us, it shows us the consequences of their actions. It shows us that when they lived right, they experienced the goodness, the abundance of God. But you know what? When they chose to live wrongly, they experience the consequences of it. Now, I'm a grace preacher. I believe in the grace of God. For by grace we've been saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's not based on my my works. But at the same time, my actions matter. My actions count for something. And so what I've seen go before me ought to impact how I live my life today. If I don't like where I am today because of what's come before me, then I need to change what I'm going to do tomorrow if I don't want yesterday to manifest in my life today. Does any of that make sense? And so that's why history is so important. Because if we don't recognize and acknowledge the direction that God wants to take us, We're heading for destruction. You know when I when we came to Abena life there were those that didn't really want us to come. They liked things as they were. They liked the fact that they had their little studies and they were able to switch from house to house and, and uh, everybody was in charge, which basically means there was no one in charge. But that's, that's kind of where, where they wanted it to some of them wanted it to stay. But, you know, it was an interesting thing. After I'd been here a couple of months, one of the founding individuals that was in the church came to me one day, and he was talking to me, and he says, you know, if you hadn't come when you did, I'm pretty sure the church would have fallen apart. He said the reason for it was we were at the point that we didn't even like each other anymore. Let me tell you something. As a church of Jesus Christ, when we can't even stand one another, you know, we're, we're in trouble at that point. Now, there may be some people that we don't care for as much as others. I know everybody thinks that I'm the greatest. But if we're unwilling to grow, unwilling to mature, unwilling to expand. You know, like I shared last week, you know, when I went to Bible school, my goal when I first went to school was to find 10 or 12 families and they'd pay their tithes so I could live and we'd just love on one another and just hang out to the rapture. Until one day I realized that there was a whole world out there that didn't know Jesus. That if they didn't have the opportunity to hear, um, faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. And so with all the distractions that are out there, that would try to keep us, and not keep us, try to get us off course, we need to make a determination that we're gonna learn from our past, but we're gonna grow from our past. And I guess that's the point that I wanna bring out there is the other danger is parking yourself and not being willing to move on, not being willing to expand, not being willing to grow. You know, last week I talked about the philosophy of the church. That our statement of faith is declaring his glory in all the nations. That our statement of purpose was being a family church, an evangelistic church, a a refuge, and a launching pad for ministries. And so we've, we've grown in those areas and and, and we're able to get there because of what what came before us. But what I don't I don't ever want us to do as a church is I don't want us to I don't want us to settle. I don't want us to get to the point. Well, we're 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 meeting our budget, and you know we you know we're we've got a fair number on a Sunday morning, and uh, you know we, we're getting along pretty good and. We've got a little bit of outreach and so forth. And so we're, we're doing okay. Listen to me. It's not about doing okay. It's about fulfilling the plan and the purpose of God. And God is not stagnant. There, is not, there isn't anything about God that's stagnant. What you knew about God yesterday, there's more to know about God today. And where he led you yesterday, there's other places he wants to take you today. And it's not determined by our age. Mm -hmm. It's determined by our willingness. But recognizing it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by his spirit that we're going to fulfill and accomplish the plan of God. So why is it important to hear about history? It's important to know where you came from. It was a group of just a few people. And they made a decision that they were going to make sacrifice and they were going to follow after Jesus and they were going to fulfill the call and plan of God. You know, at that time, many people thought it was just a bunch of crazy, fanatical, Rebellious people. They were just wanting to go out and do their own thing. Now, there's probably an element of truth to that. (laughs) But underneath it all, there was a heart to know God. To serve Him. And as a church, if we're going to succeed... And I say that, well, Pastor, we've been successful. No, we're we're not at the end of the race yet. You know, the commission is given to us to not start a race. We're to finish the race. And that's for us in our personal lives. But you know what? That's also true for us as a church that we finish the race. You know, I remember several years ago, I was at a ministers' meeting, and we got we got talking about our churches, and we're all, you know, of the independent variety. You know, and in 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 the independent variety, most of the time, what you have is, you know, the the pastor is the president, the wife is the secretary treasurer, and you have another person or so on the board, and and, and that's the organization. Well, that's not how we're structured. We're structured with uh, elders and so forth with congregational rule. That's why we have a a board meeting, I mean a congregational meeting every year, uh, so that uh, you have input. And that was done intentionally. Because sitting in this meeting, what the one, one of the pastors said, said, you know, we know how it is with our churches that you know, it's, it's basically built on the personality of the pastor, and when the pastor leaves, uh, the church basically falls apart. And I thought, if that happened to Abundant Life Ministries, I would feel as if I was a complete failure as a pastor. Because no church, <laughs> and Becky will confirm this, no church should be built on my personality. Amen. She's not nodding. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's built on Jesus. He's the cornerstone. And so if for some reason, eventually, if Jesus tarries long enough, I'm going to be out of here. But abundant life is going to continue. Why? Because it's built upon the rock. It's built upon a solid foundation. We're not going to forget where we came from, what was, a con- what was done so that we could get to where we are today. Because that's what's going to get us where we're going to be tomorrow. It's all about Jesus. Why is history important? It tells us where we've come from and it shows us where we're going. It allows us to be appreciative of what people have sacrificed so that we can get to this point. Why? So that we can sacrifice so that the generations that follow after us have even more than what we've been able to experience. History. Sounds an awful lot like school. But it's important. Let me take it a step further. Parents, grandparents, your children need to know your history. I'm not talking about what country you came from or any of that kind of stuff. I'm talking about they need to know your relationship with Jesus. They need to know that they have a heritage and that they can continue on in that heritage. Because God doesn't have any grandchildren. He has children. And so that means every generation, they must experience Jesus Christ for themselves. They must know beyond any shadow of a doubt, they have personally received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And one of the keys in influence in their life is going to be what they see in your life. And so don't don't just talk Bible. Live it. Don't just tell your children what they need to do. Show your children what they need to do. Let them know that they have a heritage that they can be proud of. I look back in the Schroeder family, I don't find any preachers. As far as I know, there's none there. I find an aunt that loved God and has done some things. But you don't find a whole lot of that in the Schroeder heritage. But I found Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and my kids know it. My grandkids know it. And if Jesus tarries, my great-grandkids are going to know it. They need to know that there's a way that leads to life and life abundant. It's in Jesus. Now, my Grandpa Overmiller, remember when he was kind of laid up and went over to him to visit with him, and my mom, her comment was, well, it was nice of you to come see Grandpa because he always likes to talk about that Religious stuff. Well, we didn't talk religion, we talked Jesus. That was the grandpa at his 80 something birthday as I'm leaving. And I wasn't sure what he thought of me being an independent preacher growing up in the denomination that we grew up in. He put his arm around me and he says, Dave, he says, I want you to remember one thing. Doesn't matter what name's over the door as long as he preached Christ and he crucified inside. I'm determined, as a church, the foundational message that we will always preach will always be Christ and he crucified. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, that's our heritage, and that's what we're going to extend to the future. And so anybody who wants to come up with any of their liberal, crazy Radical ideas. Just take them someplace else. Because we're a Jesus church. We're a blood-bought church. We believe that what Jesus did, He did for all humanity. But it will not benefit you until you receive what He's accomplished. And so... This morning, as we get ready to close, we're going to receive Holy Communion. And so, if I can have the ushers and elders come and begin to prepare the elements. If you're visiting with us today, um, you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're part of our family, you're part of our extended family. And so, I just extend an invitation to you to receive Holy Communion with us. The way that we receive communion here is the elements will be passed around. And uh, when, when it comes to you, you can either receive it at that moment or hang on to it and we'll all receive it together at the end. Isn't it interesting that what Jesus said when he was instituting Holy Communion, he said, do this, in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of what I have accomplished for you. You know one of the things that I think is really so sad within the church today is in many circles they've forgotten. They've forgotten that our very purpose for being here today is because of what Jesus did for us and he did it that some two thousand years ago but yet he he knew the tendency of humanity and the tendency of humanity is to forget to forget the price that was paid, to forget what was really accomplished for us. But Jesus, he said, remember this. He says, do this as often. And so he never put a restriction on how often we ought to receive communion. I know that there's churches that receive it every Sunday. And I've thought about that, but my fear would be that it would become so much a part of our Sunday ritual that it would just be emotion that we would go through because we have the the danger of doing that anyway. But Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And what does that mean? Remembering what Jesus did, what he accomplished for each and every one of us. And what was that? He gave his life. His body received stripes so that your body and my body might be whole. His body was hung on the cross as a a sacrifice so that you and I might be able to live and live a life abundant. But it's all because of what Jesus did for us. And we need to be sure that in our words and in our actions, we carry that through that others might be able to see in us and hear it with the words that we speak. This bread represents the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which was broken for you and me. As you receive it, receive it in remembrance of Him, the body of Christ. Then of course we we receive the second element represents the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus. But once again, he says that we're to do it in remembrance of him. Being reminded of how his blood was shed. How his blood was shed so that we might be whole. The Bible says without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin so for us to experience forgiveness of sin required that there would be blood that was shed and the thing about it is is I deserve to suffer the penalty of sin why because I've fallen short I've sinned, I've fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus became my substitute. He took my place. His blood was shed so that my blood would not have to be shed. He died so that I might live. In the Old Testament, they they sacrificed animals. And we're told that when the sacrifice was made it was it would cover over the sin that, that God would look and he'd see the blood but under the new covenant the blood of Jesus doesn't cover our sin it washes it away and so when God looks upon you and I he sees our righteousness he sees us is if we've never sinned because Jesus paid the price. That's why we declare that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, why? Because of the completed works of Jesus. And so this juice, it represents the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And so by faith we acknowledge that it was the blood of Christ that washes us, that cleanses us from all sin and from all the defilement of sin. So the blood of Christ, which was shed for you, receive it in remembrance of him. Now Father, we thank you for your loving kindness. We thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you that you're our healer, our deliverer, our provider. Father, I just pray for the revelation of who you truly are, to manifest and be alive to each and every person that would be under the sound of my voice that they might know beyond any shadow of a doubt that the price that Jesus paid was for them. And Father, may we never forget. May we never forget that 2,000 years ago Jesus died and Jesus was raised from the dead for our justification and that we might live our lives In service and appreciation of your love for us. And Father I ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So as you go, go in his peace, his strength, his love. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit giving him glory in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them.